0: Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your
1: host, Vid Muller. Hello, everybody. Vid here from Success Inspired Podcast. Welcome to another great interview. And today I've got a great guest. She's a sponsored athlete. She's a tech and operations manager and author of the book, Hashtag Sponsored. As a child, she pursued her athletic aspirations by playing basketball, despite being a mere 5.5 feet. Spurred on by the love of sport and discipline, she transitioned to swimming, cycling and running, claiming age group podiums and racing in the renowned Ironman World Championships. Please welcome to the show, Jasmine Chow.
0: So glad to be here.
1: Great to have you on the show, Jasmine. Great to have you on the show. Now, you're from New York, right? Yes. With the lockdown and everything, have you had a chance to, to attend any events since since it all started?
0: No. I mean, we joke that Governor Cuomo, which is like the New York governor, the cap is 10 people. So you can't have any gathering with more than 10 people. So I've been happily quarantined and biking and running as much as I can because those are solo activities
1: yeah absolutely so when, when do you think that you'll be able to do your next Ironman
0: oh I mean Ironman has given the green light to hold the 70.3s which is the half Ironman and the full Ironman this year a couple of their events got canceled the end of last year, so I personally am not going to be racing until the end of 2021 at best, most likely 22, I think.
1: Yeah, right. Well, that's a that's a that's a fair bit of time to wait. How are you going to keep up with your fitness and and preparations when when it opens up again?
0: So that's a great question because with lockdown, full lockdown in the US and a lot of other countries, pools have been closed. It's been very hard motivationally to keep on the grind with no races to break up your schedule. Mm. So for me, it's been a lot more using sports as a way to add to my life, to be a meditative practice, to be a discipline practice rather than chasing PRs and hitting all these races. So consistency is key. And that's what I've been focusing on for this last year.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And what inspired you like, I mean, you've done you've done a couple of tri triath- many triathlons and multiple Ironman events. Tell me what, what inspired you to, you know, to get into this whole athleticism?
0: Yeah. So sports has played a big role in my life. My parents, thankfully, knew the power of team sports growing up. It taught a lot of collaboration. You dealt with failure. You dealt with wins and losses and a lot of different people dynamics. So I grew up playing team sports. Absolutely loved it, but wasn't athletically gifted enough to really play through a uh, university or college. And I transitioned more into individual sports when I was at school in college and really found my calling in a multidisciplinary approach, just because I joke that I'm not good enough at each individual sport. So the only way that I can really compete is to combine all three together or more.
1: Well, it's always about finding finding what you're good at. Work with your what was the saying? Work with your strengths and work on your weaknesses. Right? So yeah. you've you've done that and and it's it's worked out for you. Now this whole world of sponsorship. So you you wrote it in your book about sponsorship. How amateur athletes can get sponsored. How did what was the first time that you were approached to be sponsored and and what did that do for you?
0: Yes. So I actually was. Very nascent to this industry, I didn't really understand how non-professional people could get sponsored. I saw brand ambassadorships, but didn't really understand them. So this book was actually a way for me to use myself as a guinea pig to see, okay, let's go out and discover and find all of these different structures and then apply it to myself and see if I can get sponsored. So I was actually not approached, I applied. And I want to walk through the process a little bit more clearly because it's not exactly the same for a lot of different sports, but for triathletes, it's a very distinct process. So for triathlon teams, for amateur triathlon teams, the application process usually runs from around fall, which is the end of the triathlon season, into winter. And there's a bunch of triathlon teams that sponsor amateur sports. Uh, athletes just because they want to get their brand out there. They want to provide value for their affiliate sponsors. And so there's a big network that's still growing. I would say uh, medium size to big that's still growing and really just to create a very virtuous cycle for amateur uh, athletes to get into the sport and also for brands to reach these amateur athletes. So I applied, but before I even applied, I did a lot of research on the different teams, I looked at the current roster and saw these athletes that were representing these amateur sports brands on the race field. And so had a really good idea of which one was my top. I am currently sponsored by Wadi Inc. I am on their elite team, and I race for them at all the triathlon events and the multi-sports events.
1: And just to give an idea to somebody out there listening to this podcast who is an athlete or amateur athlete just becoming Motor Pro. What type of uh, obligations do you have when you're sponsored?
0: Yes, so there is a almost a non compete. So if I race for Wadi Inc. and they have one bri- uh, bike spine sponsor or one clothing sponsor or one uh, recovery tool sponsor, you can't promote other tools that are not within their affiliate partnerships. Mm-hmm. So that's an automatic. That's that's something you do commit to. You do commit to representing the brand at every single instance and opportunity that you can. So when you're racing, you're wearing the kit, you're not promoting other brands that are conflicting interests or could be a uh, supplementary. So those are the very hardcore commitments and On top of that, a lot of amateur-sponsored athletes actually go above and beyond, and they find other opportunities to really promote the brand. So for example, I was going to do a book launch last year before COVID hit, and I was thinking of creative ideas to incorporate the bar sponsor that I'm a part of into unique recipes so that I could use these recipes and give people snacks while they're at my book launch. So, uh, you find really creative kind of overlapping ways to like promote the brand.
1: Right, right. So they they give you the freedom to get creative and you create content whether on social media, video or through book. Yes. With with the sponsorship being in a way restrictive with, you know, whatever brand you commit to, that I guess that brings an important point of making sure that you decide correctly who you want to be sponsored by, right? Because it goes both ways, right? I mean initially if you're I don't want to say nobody, but initially when you don't when you don't have any sponsors, you might feel like you might jump on the first opportunity, right? But then I guess it's important to to really assess whether that's the brand that you want to go with because if you do go with a particular brand, do they require do they expect you that you're gonna stick with them for a while or is there some part of a some sort of a a period of time that you have to commit to or how does that work
0: yes so most amateur sponsorships go in one year cycles so you reapply a per year i cannot say for professional contracts evidently but that i did want to go back to a point that you touched upon which is very important and very core to one of my book thesis is the fact that Most amateur athletes think that the brands have more leverage because they think that the brand has the money, the brand has the free gear, the brand has a free product, and therefore I need to do whatever the brand says and promote their stuff and kind of like I am at a disadvantage because I don't have the monetary means to subsidize my sport. But that's Mm -hmm. actually incorrect because you have to be very, very thoughtful about which brands and which sponsorships you actually engage with, because if you don't believe in the brand or you don't believe in the product, it's going to make your job a lot harder. And suddenly you, you start demeaning your own credibility as a athlete or as someone that is, you know, an amateur sponsoree because you're promoting brands or products that you don't believe in and that you can't genuinely say is a great product. So I, I you, you do have to be very thoughtful about how you engage and. With the one-year contracts, it's very nice that you have like one year of testing it out. And hey, if it's not for you, you guys can depart the relationship amicably. And there's no hard feelings because at the end of the day, we're trying all to promote the sport and like get more people in the sport and the brands. So I think there's it's not very binary. It's not just like you don't pick a brand and therefore you hate the brand and like, you know, the brand comes after you. It's not like that. It's hmm. it's an evolving relationship with all the brands that you engage with.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's so many brands, right? You have to also, I guess, think about how the relationship or how, how, you know, particular brand, like for example, Red Bull, because it's so prestigious, can actually help you elevate your status as, as an athlete, just simply by by affiliation to that brand, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's a two-way street.
1: Red Bull in particular is something that you talk about in your book about their success and how they've been able to to do it so well with the sponsorships. Can you unpack that a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So this is actually one of my favorite stories. So Red Bull has a long history and kind of a guerrilla marketing tactic. They've actually leveraged uh, these more, I would say, not like tier one names of athletes and sports to to basically seep into everyone's imagination, right? So in the book, I talk about their first big feat of the Stratos Project, where they basically send one of their athletes into the stratosphere to do the highest base jump off of the International Space Center, basically breaking through, breaking through the sound barrier and everything. And it garnered like, 5 million streams while it was live streaming and had basically a fallout of like 20 million engagements, like millions and millions of engagement afterwards. It's a little hard to pinpoint the exact kind of monetary income that the brand gained afterwards, but you can see that like people were talking about the Stratus project like many, many years afterwards and that this had a big push to really elevate the Red Bull kind of like brand and concierge like how, how prevalent it is in everyone's day to day. And so it's, it's really cool to see Red Bull kind of like attacked all of these other uh, mediums. And you can see that after the success of like this guerrilla marketing tactic, that they're, they still are very core to their, their value that they they pull in athletes from a little bit more of the non mainstream, right? So, a couple of years back, they started sponsoring an esports team to target that market. They still sponsor a lot of sports that you wouldn't think is like mainstream, right? So, like X Game style sports. And they invest in their Red Bull Media House, which basically does a lot of the videography and photojournalism and whatnot. And you see that the athletes that are part of the Red Bull brand, like really, really, really do love the, like gives you wings kind of thesis of Red Bull.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that they're into a TV now as well. And Formula One and so many.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: One of the great things about Red Bull, like when you, when you see the Red Bull for me anyway, on any event, it just like, it gives you the sense of excitement because of what their brand represents. And so this is important conversation because Red Bull aside, whatever brand you decide to go with, once again, like, like we said before, it is important to realize that this is not just about you finding a brand that will provide some form of, I guess, income. They provide income. It depends on the brand, I guess, right? Depends on the deal.
0: Yeah. It depends on the brand for amateur sports sponsorship specifically, income is usually not part of the negotiations. If you become an influencer or if you become, you know, a professional athlete, that is definitely part of the contract. They're set up differently depending on how the contract is negotiated. But for amateur sponsorships, Particularly, a lot of the compensation is through race entries and products, affiliate discounts, being able to leverage the athlete network and a lot of like non-monetary means, but they Mm -hmm. still provide immense value.
1: Which is, yeah, still immense value. Like, for example, you mentioned entry fees. They can be quite high for, for big events like Ironman, right?
0: Yeah. So it's about... 500, 600 US dollars for a half Ironman and up to 900 US dollars for a full Ironman. So,
1: right. And that's just the registration. We're not even talking about how you're going to get there, all the logistics, all your expenses, yeah. accommodation, yeah. all that.
0: Yeah. It racks up.
1: Yeah. So some sp- sponsors would actually cover some of that for you as well.
0: Yeah. So for my team specifically, they have partnered very well with Ironman to release some lottery tickets. So you could basically win race entries depending on the year. And I I definitely know teammates that have really, really, really loved that.
1: Awesome. So let's talk about Ironman just a little bit as well and yourself, your own experience with Ironman. How many Ironmans have you done so far in your life?
0: I've done four Ironmans, and four. to put in context, I've only this would be my third season in uh, triathlon.
1: Mm-hmm. What is the preparation like for an Ironman event? What was your first uh, preparation for the first Ironman? Like, <laughs> do you still remember?
0: I think everyone's first Ironman is is you you're just such a rookie. To give context, the distance of a full Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike ride and then a marathon. And to put into metrics because we're we're metrics literate here. It's a 3800 meter swim, it's a 180 kilometer bike ride and then it's a 42 kilometer run at the end. And so professionals finish this in about sub 8 hours. Amateurs can take up to 17 hours to complete the course. And that type of endurance event, I just don't think you can fathom because any sensible human being would not put themselves through that unless there, there is some, you know, reason. So my first one was very interesting because I picked one that was a little bit off the beaten path. I went to race in Penghu, Taiwan, which is a small island off of the small island of Taiwan. And <laughs> there are North Gale winds during that time. And so that has been the race where I have dealt with the most crosswinds ever in my life. The swim was canceled because of how bad the wind was. So it was actually drastically shortened to 400 meters. And that was basically the start of the race where we're tumbling in water just to get in, get out, because they had to shorten the swim by that much. And then you're getting completely beaten by the crosswinds on a bike where one fourth of the athletes actually got undercut. And so they like fell off their bike. And then you ran still in the wind on this tiny island. So I, I don't think it could have gone any worse. And that really kind of prepared me for the next three, I would say.
1: Yeah, right. Wow. Why, why Taiwan? Why did you decide Taiwan to be the first one?
0: So it was two reasons, actually. So Ironman racing is basically segregated by your age group is what we call it. And that's an age bracket that you race in. I happened to be in the 18 to 24 age group at that time. And that is the least competitive age bracket because most 18 year olds would not even want to do an Ironman. And I I happen to have family back in Taiwan. And so my mom made it this big family reunion and I was racing because I knew that that was the best location and age group to race in to get a Kona qualifying slot. So
1: you've done your first Ironman in Taiwan and what were the other three that you've done?
0: So after Taiwan, I then raced New Zealand and I then raced in Australia, actually. And then I raced Ironman World Championship in Kona, Hawaii. Oh,
1: so that would have been completely different experience in Hawaii.
0: It was, it was a totally different experience, I want to say. Ironman World Championship is what we call the mecca of Ironman. So it is the place that every single triathlete wants to get to. You can only qualify if you get a Kona slot in your age group. So you usually have to finish within like the top three of your age group, or you can qualify through legacy, which is basically brand loyalty to Ironman. You have to complete 12 Ironmans in your lifetime, and then you get put on a lottery list to get an entry into world championships.
1: Yeah, right. So that's how it works. So you have yeah. to earn your rights to get into the world championship.
0: Yes. Wow. And- Yeah. And with that said, because you have to earn that slot, every brand, every sponsor, every team basically is out in full force because it is the Super Bowl of Ironman. Like it is a Super Bowl of like full distance racing.
1: Now, how many Ironmans do you think is realistic to do in a year? Because you've got eight to go, right? (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah if if i want to if i want to return back to the Big island is what we call it Mm. yes i have another eight to go so realistically i would say the 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 census is that you shouldn't do more than two ironmans a year so you do one qualifying to kona if that's what your goal is and then you race kona three is pushing it four is basically a rookie mistake
1: right right yeah because i mean you need time to recover yes now as a side note uh, for those of you guys listening if you know the topic of Iron Man's really interests you there's another episode that I've had on this podcast with Michael if you go one of the earlier episodes Michael is somebody that has done Iron Man in a very unique not way but he's he's a unique person for doing Iron Man and that is he decided to do an Iron Man when he was 60 so check that episode out for you guys listening on the successinspiredpodcast.com website. It's I think it's episode number six. You'll be able to find it there. He talks about his journey of or, you know, preparing for Ironman and what that experience is like, which we'll get Jasmine to talk about in a second. But he also shares how he did Ironman on Lake Placid and how while he was training for it, one day he was swimming in the lake and it was raining and the lake got struck by lightning. And so he, yeah, very interesting story there. So that's something to check out later. Now back to you, Jasmine, what is that experience like getting through Ironman, preparing for it and what, what does it give you? What does it do for you when you do get through that finish line?
0: So I, I am going to take a small to kind of a large Time lens. So day to day leading up to Kona race, you are basically hitting your training plan from that's usually about like one to three hours a day. If it's a long training block, you might be training for six hours a day. In the month time stand, basically you're going through a build phase and a recovery phase. And that's pretty standard practice in triathlon training plans where basically you're building up so you're getting stronger and then you dip down to make sure that your body can actually take the load. In the like months pre- preparing up to the race, you are doing logistics. You're figuring out exactly how your travel plans are. You're figuring out how far your your accommodations are from race star and what check-in looks like. When are you getting your bike in? When are you getting your wristband? When are you getting all your feed stuff in? And so the week leading up to a race, you usually go a little earlier to make sure that you have enough time to prepare, to do part of the course, to understand the turns, to understand everything else in the setup. And then come race day, you basically wake up at 4 a.m. and you mill in the darkness with 2,000 other athletes who are also milling around in the darkness, you know, in, in their Spanx and their little tri suits. You are very concerned that you like ate enough, that you have enough nutrition, that you ate enough right before the race, that you, you know, you to go to the bathroom to, Mm -hmm. to put pleasantly one time, two times to be assured three times to be very, very, very assured. And you basically just are very anxious. You're in the midst of a bunch of people until your race wave or your wave start happens. And the race itself is you go through the whole spectrum of human emotions. People race for 10 plus hours. And in that 10 plus hours, you have your highs, you have your lows. And I have not experienced more highs or more lows than racing Ironmans. But when you do finally hit that finishing gauntlet, it is magical. You're usually hysterical because you have only been fueling with Coke and gummies and pure sugar. But when you do hit that cross line, that finish line, you're sweaty, you're gross. You most likely have peed yourself. You most likely had, you know, Coke spilled all over you, but you do feel a big sense of accomplishment and you will, your body will most likely punch you in the gut the next day for how sore you are. But it's, it's a very special experience.
1: Amazing. That's awesome. And two things that come out of it, the first one out of, as a result of accomplishment, as a result of getting through that, it's obviously you have to put yourself, put your body through a lot of hardship, through a lot of stress, physical and emotional. How does that translate then when you've done, when you've gone through it, when you've crossed that finishing line, does that then help you in any way, shape, form, do better in life and certain things?
0: Yes. I am a true believer that you really can understand and tackle life's problems through an athletic lens. The coaching organization that I am coached by also has that lens. And if you can get your mind in the right order when you're racing an Ironman, when you're going through a very hard athletic event you understand how like the mind and the body really connect and work. And when you're in that fight or flight space, again, for anything else, for a career, for your career projects, or for your interactions with your loved ones, you understand exactly kind of like the mental state that you should be in to really tackle this question very head on and very, Logically, and I, I do think that that training of like being in a very difficult space and having to go through it is great training grounds for everything else in life.
1: Mm-hmm. Time and time again, we mentioned it on this podcast, or we hear it not just on this podcast, but <clears throat> in general that you know, when you put yourself in outside the comfort zone, when you put yourself outside the comfort zone. That's when the magic happened. That's, that's how the diamonds are made. That's when you put yourself through a hard, tough situation, and it just makes you tougher, makes you uh, more resilient, right? What are some of the stories that you hear from your fellow, uh, fellow Ironman competitors? What does that do for them? Any, any, any unique stories there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of inspiration from my teammates and that is why I continue to be on the same sponsored team. There's a very big community aspect. I remember Ironman Cork, which was in Ireland. It was a debut year in 20, I want to say like 2019, 2020. I forgot the exact year, but I remember watching and following along with it and it was storming the whole time. Not raindrops, not drizzle. it would it was storming the whole Iron Man race and you saw people completely drenched climbing up like a hill and there were crowds and crowds of people out cheering them on in this thunderstorm. And I'm just like, wow, if I was put in that position, I'm not sure I would have finished that race. But you then hear kind of more minutia details as to we have, a professional we have professional athletes that are on the team and they go through a very different experience because of just how the competition is stacked in the professional field and you have you have very lows that you experience with them right so one of the professional athletes that is on our team basically finished dead last and it was a very tough experience for him. And he just got, he just took his professional card. He has a family and has different obligations. And it's very cool to see the the community and the team really, really, really peel back and say like, what are the core values? Like we understand that this was a big failure in a lot of objective minds, but, he he got to spend time with his family during this year and he got to spend time with his family when they really needed him Mm. and so professionally yes that that was a big blow to a lot of his other sponsorships and whatnot but are there core values that are even more important than what you know what is in this sport frame just like this one sport frame so it 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 gives it gives perspective to a lot of things
1: Absolutely. And everybody starts these Ironman for all sorts of different reasons as well, right?
0: Yes, yes.
1: What are some of the reasons that you hear people for deciding to do Ironman?
0: My my favorite one is actually that people just had the wrong friends or fell into the wrong group of friends. But the more inspirational ones, which I think you're getting to, is that people have a very high bar of personal growth. So a lot of my teammates you know, getting first in their age group is not enough. They want the next bar and they just start ticking at the next bar. And a couple of years later, they are hands down one of the best amateur athletes in the world. Like they could be professional, but they know that their work is not done and day in and day out, they basically just keep ticking at this, at this personal growth and this improvement. And you see the results. Mm. Um, Other people really have the I would say the more archetype story of they were addicts or they were they had bad habits and they found themselves through the sport so they went got sober or they lost a lot of weight or they got strong and they really found themselves in the sport and the community and they continued to follow this line that they paved for themselves because they knew that this community would keep them on track. And so you see a lot of those stories and those are always very, 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 very touching for me. Mm,
1: absolutely. No, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing. And I can imagine if somebody who's, who's living you a know, life of addiction or says that's something that they really want to change, doing, uh, starting to do running, starting to do swimming, starting to do events like triathlons, like Ironman, is is a way to to distract themselves from from that to do something different, something that will put them on the path towards betterment. Now back to you, uh, Jasmine. How do you balance it all out? Because you also have a full time job. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, so I can see that you work at Walmart. You're doing some management work there. You know, doing these uh, Ironmans. Obviously not now, but you know, in a normal normal circumstances, and writing a book. How
0: do you balance? I I don't have a really good answer for this. I, (laughs) I say, I say I actually don't watch any TV shows or movies or follow a lot of things that uh, take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And I know that's blasphemy in this day and age when Netflix is basically the social currency, but I, TV shows for me is a opportunity that I would rather swap out for my training and my writing and making sure that I am still a highly productive and valuable member of my team for work. More specifically to the book, I would say that if anyone is interested in starting a book, they usually find that there's a couple ways that they can complete the book, right? So either they wake up every single day and they put two hours in every single day to write And they finish it, you know, in whatever timeline is appropriate. And those are the more like meticulous, like every day, day in and day out. Mm. I, on the other hand, am a what I call when inspired type of personality. So I cannot slot in an hour or two hours every single day because I end up not being productive in those one hour or two hours or every day. Instead, I do what is more similar to kind of like hackathons, where I'll put in 20 hours within a day and a half, or I'll put in 50 hours within a week and get it just done and finished and crossed off to the finish line. So that's the only way that I completed a book with a full time job and also Ironman training. Mm-hmm. But you're always gonna have competing priorities. It's just what you really, really want to finish and get across the line.
1: Absolutely, and if there's desire, there's a will as well, right? So you find a way. Now, when it comes to writing the book, what are some of the key lessons that you learned from the experience of writing that book?
0: You just have to put one step in front of the other. Mm -hmm. So saying that you're gonna write a book first and foremost is a scary thing. And then telling your friends and family that you're going to write a book suddenly holds you accountable to your goals. And in every step of the process, you wonder if you're the right person to do it, if you have a voice that is interesting, that you have a story to tell. But flip it on the other side, right? How many books are there about making money? or figuring Mm. out what to do in your career. How many books are there about self-help? How many books are there about different successful entrepreneurs, right? There are many, many books out there and that's fine. And that's the way it should be because then people have choice. So if you are very passionate about a subject, and for me, it was amateur sports sponsorship because it stuck with me for multiple years as I was writing the book and has to this day, like I do click on articles about Lucy Charles, for example, one of the top uh, professional Ironman athletes recently just finished her sponsorship with specialized bicycles, which is like one of the biggest brands in mm, the industry. Yeah. And she's gonna have a new sponsor, right? So I always click to these articles as to like different new structures of how amateur sports sponsorship is going to be, how reg- how you know professional sports sponsorship is going to be. So I love the topic and it was that for how much I love the topic. That kept me going through really finish the book because that was always still relevant to me. That topic was interesting. I was like constantly learning about new paradigms. So
1: now when you decided to write the book, did you sort of just, you know, just go for it or did you seek some help or to gain some structure around it?
0: Yeah. So I have a pretty interesting story about this. I went through a book program is the short answer, but the only reason I went through a book program was I actually met an entrepreneurship professor when I was in college, and he was very disillusioned because he would teach hundreds and hundreds of students every single year, and he was an industry guy, so he was very frustrated that he wasn't getting the outcomes that he intended to. Maybe one or two of his students every single year might try a venture or do their own thing, But none of them would be that successful. And he was really, really stumped as to how to make a bigger impact and actually outcome oriented kind of lens as to his success. Mm -hmm. His friend actually challenged him to flip it on this ad and see like, hey, why don't you just ask your students to produce a product, right? And a product can be anything, right? A website, launch a website, launch a podcast, launch a video. He's like, why don't you do a book? And he thought about it. And he tested it with his then cohort of students, which is about 30 a couple years back. And then he started iterating on this structure and started piloting this program to a larger and larger audience. And now he's very successfully run the Creator Institute, which is a book program for students and young professionals, anyone that has something to say to really start writing a book and finish writing a book and publish it. And he's really, really crowdsource different ways to make the process a lot more efficient and really democratize the way that people can hybrid publish. And so not just self-publishing, but be able to have a publisher backing and to have the support and community needed to really start and then like finish a book. So that's how I successfully completed the book was really kind of like getting on this journey and having a really good relationship with Mm -hmm. my professor. And I've recommended people through the process. I know you've had other guests on the podcast that went through the process. And it's a great learning experience just because you have to double down on what you actually want to say in the world. You have to really double down on, like, how much are, like, how committed are you? Because you are just going, you're going to spend the next year and a half, if not two years, writing this thing publishing this thing, editing this thing multiple times and having days when you really don't want to do anything about it. But it's a great program to really kind of get the community backing to push you in the right direction and get you into completion.
1: And one thing that I love about your book is that it has um, a clear market. It has a clear distinctive, you know, who is this book for, right? It's for beginner athletes um, looking to get sponsored in a nutshell, so. I guess that's really important when you're deciding to write a book. Not just, I mean, and I haven't, to be honest, I haven't wrote a book. But just going off what I'm hearing and you know what you're saying and what one of my other guests that I had on the podcast, Jackie Lane, on episode 14, what what she said, she actually does the same thing. She helps people write books. She said the same thing. You know, you have to. It's not just about putting stuff that's in your head into a book to have. Something that you can say that you've got a book, but you have to really decide what do you want the book to do, and who is the book for, right? To so have a clear purpose, clear clear goal. Like in your case, it was to help people understand the world of sponsorship in in any sport, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Awesome. Now, what else do you do, Jasmine?
0: What else? What else? What else do I do? <laughs> Well, I mean, in book realm, I am launching my audiobook really soon. And that was a very interesting experience because it was very it was a very different experience when you're putting pen to paper, you know, typing up your manuscript versus versus having to orate what you wrote. And I I I loved the process just because you you realize how hard it is for voice actors and you realize how hard it is for podcast hosts to really thread a story through to sound animated but not very pitched you know and it's it it was a very enlightening experience for me just because I do have friends that you know are voice actors and act on Broadway and I just had no whatsoever exposure to what their day-to-day looked like so it was it was a fun experience.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Mentioning the podcast, that is so true. Because I'm always like, and I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm still. This is for me personally. This is still a growing journey, learning journey. How I can be a better interviewer. And sometimes I do ask questions that I just, you know, shoot off the hip kind of thing. For the most part, you know, I I try to obviously always prepare with 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 my guests. You know, research my guests, and and it gives me an idea of which area or which you know which way i wonder what theme i want for the podcast today today's theme was all about you know the sponsorships and your journey and 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 hopefully inspire somebody out there that's listening that is trying to change their life for the better to maybe think about pursuing triathlons as a vehicle to do that but yeah it is it is definitely very interesting and like i said voice clarity there's so much more to it like it's just never-ending because yeah. you, you you listen to like comedians you know, i listen to some of the comedians in the podcast and they talk about you know how how you can play around with your voice to to make to make a point with a particular thing just just by you know just just by going close to microphone or, or changing changing the depth of your voice uh when you want to you know highlight something it is yeah it is incredible what what, what can be done <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about like humanity too, we have a very strong oral tradition. And so like sound kind of triggers a different way that our brain processes it versus visual. And, you know, obviously in the modern age, we rely much more on visual than sound. Mm. And I when i was younger i spent a lot of time in choir and band and in choir you understand enunciation a lot better you understand consonants and vowels and certain how you put them together so that the actual word is registered and not just you 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 speak it and you think you actually said it clearly but when someone else registers it especially in like a a vocal tone they don't unless you you break apart the word and so it was, it was it was hard in some aspects for the audiobook because i was like i'm speaking very fast already i am making enunciating and then you you get it back and you're like whoa like that sentence did not sound like how it was supposed to and then you 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 do the process again
1: yeah that's the beautiful think about it you can always delete edit start again yeah <laughs> now when is this audio book coming out
0: I am, I am at the wind of the audiobook gods. I submitted it right before Christmas, and so I am just getting that final approval when it's launched. But I am very excited for people to purchase it and especially for my target audience to be able to listen to it while they're training, while they're running, you know, cycling, et cetera, and hearing the great stories that are in the book about, you know, Red Bull, like you mentioned, about other professional athletes and amateur athletes that have really leveraged the brand athlete model for their for their purposes.
1: Excellent. And while waiting for this to come out, the real book, the readable option is already available. That's on Amazon, correct?
0: Yes. So it's through most of the major book distributors. So on Amazon, on Barnes & Nobles, um, if you want to get it from Kobo, it's it's released on the major retailers.
1: So the book's called Hashtag Sponsored. So for those of you looking for the book, Hashtag Sponsored by Jasmine Cho. I'm going to put a link in the show notes and I look forward to the audiobook because I am not much of a reader. When I do, <laughs> when I do read books, I do start fall asleep for some reason. My <laughs> eyes get watery and I start yawning. It's just a weird thing that happens when I try to read books. So I'm very much looking forward to the audiobook. And do you think that it will be available on Audible as well? Yes, it will be awesome. Yes, that's great. That's great because that's where most of the audiobooks are, right? On Audible. Yeah, I think that's the main one. Awesome. Well, Jasmine, we are at the end of this of this journey together. We had a really good conversation for a good fifteen minutes, and I think we've provided a lot of value and impact on those of you guys listening. So, I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you sharing your story, sharing the insights about what goes into the world of sponsorships, and I'm sure there's much more. And for that, obviously, people go and get your book, and they learn more.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation
1: awesome well one more thing I hope that you know everything um, clears up for for all of us around the world soon especially for you guys in the US over here in Australia we don't have it as bad but I really I really wish that, that it clears up really quickly for you guys so that you can come back to you know doing all, all the regular things that you enjoy doing uh, and then for you in particular to be able to do your triathlons and, and compete again and I look forward to yeah hear more about your your successes in the sport world and by the way you've got a You've got a link, you've got a Strava link, right? So can people follow you like if they want to see how you perform and maybe like challenge you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I am all about people picking up the sport and engaging in the community. So please follow me. Please comment on my Strava. And I will be happy to follow anyone else through this podcast. And it's all about the community. I mean sports sports is great just because like everyone can come together and really cheer each other on right and that's that's just what i love about it
1: Mm, absolutely all right well i'll put a link down into the show notes as well and perhaps that could be a a cool little fun avenue while we're still you know most of us in the lockdown that you get challenged by somebody for a run to 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 hit it at x y is at pace or whatever (laughs) Awesome Alright Jasmine Take care Great to have you on the show Once again Thank you And you have a great rest of your day And thank you everybody for listening You are listening to Jasmine Chow And me Your host Vit Mueller On the Success Inspired Podcast If you enjoyed this episode If you enjoyed this interview Please do me a favor Share it with your friends There's always somebody That should listen to these um, That might You know There's always that somebody That this could inspire uh, Them to take action to, to better themselves To better their life In one way Shape or form by hearing one of the nuggets from this interview. We're also on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're all across the social media, one same handle, Success Inspired Podcast. So feel free to follow. And for anything else in terms of the show notes, details about this interview, I put quite a lot of details into the show notes. You can access that on the actual official website, successinspiredpodcast.com. Thank you again and stay inspired, stay successful, and have a great rest of your day, everybody.